This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, and I'm an assistant editor here at Christianity Today. And as usual, I'm joined by Mark Galley, our editor-in-chief. Hey. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Mark, I know that you were not here last week because you were fishing. Yeah, that that's not going to be a precious moment because it wasn't something that brought me joy. I think you should give up fishing for this year. That was your third time trying to fish. Okay. <laughs> it still didn't work out. It hasn't been working out. It's a, it's a long losing streak right now. The fish are winning, definitely. <laughs> Finally, it's about time. All right, so who's our guest today? Um, I'm really glad we have uh, Dan Wood, Executive Director of the National Christian College Athletic Association with us. The NCCAA was created, as the website puts it, for the maintenance, enhancement, and promotion of intercollegiate athletic competition with a Christian perspective, and it aims to assist colleges and coaches in producing a game plan that will influence the student-athlete immediately as as well as his or her entire life. And as Morgan will uh, let us know, this is a very relevant subject at this point in time. Great to have you, Dan. Thank you, Morgan. Good to be with you. Where are you based out of? Greenville, South Carolina. Man. So any any uh, any accent you hear is very real after 57 years. So, um, But it's good to be with you. Our headquarters have been here since uh, 2000. I also feel like you're in the middle of like College Football Central over there. Well... Being near Clemson, obviously, right now, uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's pretty crazy, obviously, after really the last few years. And uh, it's been fun to sponge off that. Um, I'm a diehard Tar Heel fan, originally growing up in North Carolina. But um, we, we do worship and life with the Clemson community. We actually live about eight miles from their stadium. So it's an exciting time. And uh, they are rather passionate, as you know. Okay, so I've asked this to multiple Clemson fans, but did their national championship win this year mean more because they lost it the year before? Um, I think the pursuit of it did. Uh, I actually saw Dabo Swinney last night. We were at the their men's soccer game. Clemson played UCLA last night and got to see Coach Sweeney briefly. And I think he has said, and the staff, and, the, and we have several players that would go to our church. I think the pursuit of it, Morgan, meant more. After losing so close, not playing maybe their best in 15, uh, the pursuit of it, I think, meant so much. And so I think if you're pursuing something of that magnitude and then you get it, it probably does mean more. But I think it was the journey more than just even the destination. Cool. I also think that beating Alabama always feels good. Me personally. <laughs> well, you, you would you, you would fit in down here just fine. <laughs> okay, now we're going to get a bunch of hate mail. Thank you very much, Morgan. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Well, Mark will play contrarian here, and he can stick up for Nick Saban. Okay, I'm also losing people that don't care about college football. So let's get into the broader conversation that we'd like to have today. Earlier this week, five Wheaton college football players were accused of brutally hazing their teammate in 2016. Three of the players played in the Division III school Saturday game, and all five of the accused are on the active roster of the football team. 
The victim has alleged that the five guys forcibly removed him from his room, restrained him with duct tape, and at one point attempted to sodomize him. The group allegedly left him in a field without his cell phone, and the victim said he suffered muscle tears in both shoulders as a result of injuries sustained in the incident. Wheaton College said that a third-party investigator had looked into the incident last year, and sources told the Chicago Tribune that several of the accused players had been required to do 50 hours of community service and write an eight-page essay reflecting on their actions. This news comes after another Christian college made headlines for its Division I football players' bad behavior. Last year, the president of Baylor University, Ken Starr, resigned following a months-long scandal involving charges of rape and assault against five football players. Christian colleges traditionally encourage intercollegiate sports as one way to build character into men and women who participate. But stories like these, happening at Christian colleges that take faith formation seriously, suggest that it's not that simple. So today on the show, we'll explore how sports may or may not build character and how Christian colleges at their best try to disciple their athletes. I just want to take the time to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And you can get a subscription of this publication at orderct.com slash quick to listen. That's orderct.com slash quick to listen. I just wanted to talk about one piece that we have up right now that people might be interested in reading. It is about refugees and the Reformation and talking about how Martin Luther's own words about refugees and looking after people who are fleeing their countries are pertinent even as Germany is welcoming in thousands of people from around the world um, and how they really try to carry out that legacy. And as many people know, October is the month um, that really kind of highlights this Reformation. Um, And Mark, I know that you wrote an editorial about kind of repentance too, which was like another theme of the Reformation. I just read through that and it was talking about just how repentance can be really important in kind of like the outrage era that we live in um, for people to be genuinely sorry for their sins. Yeah, Luther's Reformation touches a lot of themes and I'm glad you brought up these too. We tend to think of him as sola scriptura, justification by faith, but there's also this notion of, uh, he, he just thought repentance was a really important practice for Christians to participate in. He wanted to reach out to refugees. So there's, it has many ramifications beyond justification by faith for sure. I will say that I was at a religion conference a couple weeks ago, and I learned that Martin Luther probably did not nail the 95 Thesis. It was very upsetting. That is such a moment in history. It's such an iconic image we have in our head, yeah. Where do these things come from? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I was disappointed when I first read that as well, so... There you go, because I have all these images of him in front of a big church door with a hammer in his hand and whatever. But to to be clear, he did post these 95 theses somewhere or gave them to someone. So that part of it's true. Just the Wittenberg chapel. Just the Wittenberg door hammering on the Wittenberg door, not necessarily. Okay. So the 95 theses, just to clarify for everyone, not a myth. All right. (laughs) Um, So you can read more of our Reformation coverage, again, if you subscribe to Christianity Today. And again, that is possible at orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, Mark. So let's have a gut check, which is the time when you and I tell everyone how we really feel about something. How did you feel when you heard this news? Well, I was deeply saddened, of course. Wheaton College is right down the road from uh, us here, from my home in the other direction. I have many friends, uh, part of the Wheaton College faculty and administration, and I just sighed saying uh, to myself, my gosh, not again. It just seems like every year Wheaton College goes through another major controversy, and 
the level of brutality, at least the alleged brutality, is just frankly shocking. Uh, so it was, yeah, I was kind of set back on my heels on this one. Yeah, I definitely, when I saw the headlines of hazing, I don't think that I had this in my mind. And then I read through the details for the story. One thing that I didn't include in our summary earlier was actually that these guys basically kind of like disguise themselves in this Middle Eastern persona and then kind of try to scare, allegedly scare their victim through pretending that they were Muslims. Um, Muslim which, terrorists, yeah. Which adds even like a sicker twist to this whole story. But yeah, I mean, I felt pretty, you know, third party shaken up when I was just reading this to know it happened down the road. And it was just, you know, to even call it hazing to me felt like it was just, it sounded more like just assault in general. Well, legally, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And we should be clear, this is just an accusation at this point. Uh, these gentlemen are going, are, are uh, over this week, they are um, uh, turning themselves into the police voluntarily. Uh, there will be a trial. And we'll find out more what happened, but um, the initial look is uh, not a pleasant one to think about. Correct. All right. Well, Dan, we're happy to have your voice on the show today and to kind of dive into some of the, the deeper issues that this particular incident raises. Before we do that, though, I'm just wondering if you can tell us about the purpose of the NCCAA. You know, there's a lot of semantics. We have mission statements and purpose. And I, I think for us, Morgan, to boil it down, we simply try to use intercollegiate athletics to serve the Great Commission. That's our that's kind of our driving force. How that happens is very diverse. And for some at times, it's hard to even explain how can it be used. Uh, there are those who think sports has vacated all good because of the the ego that drives it. Now the professional business that drives it, even at the college game, especially, you know, at the bigger Division One model. But we have found ways. God is good. And uh, there's a lot of good utilization of it to draw people either closer or introduce them to Christ. Uh, we do that for about 100 schools. That's our membership. They are, you know, our membership would be the smaller. Uh, Wheaton was a, was a member of the NCCA for years before investing more heavily in NCAA Division Three. We certainly don't have all Christian colleges in the U.S., but we use the phrase that uh, we serve intentionally Christ-centered schools. And I think as we go through our discussion and time today, that word is key, intentional. You know, that that's kind of our purpose. We want to use sports, in our case, championship events, uh, and everything on the peripheral of that to serve the Great Commission. Can you give a concrete example of how that might look like? Sure. Simples would be at all of our regional and national championships. We have 70 regional championships. We have 24 national championships and then one bowl games called the Victory Bowl. At all of those events, for example, we will do some type of CSP, and that's Christian Service Project. Uh, what that will look like will vary. It will be something that Christ would do had he come to town. It may be a food project. It may be, obviously, in Houston, if we were doing an event now in Houston or Florida, uh, we'd certainly be doing something in hurricane relief because we, like we feel that's what Christ would do if he was in that area. In doing so, in locking arms with the people, what that host community needs, then we get the opportunity to, A, show that service is one of the quantities, qualities for the Christ walk, to the student athlete. So we put them in these two to three hours of Christian service project, even though every kid may not be a believer or may not be walking in a deep relationship, whatever semantics we want to put on it. We do want to teach them at that kind of ultimate time of year, championship week, that Christ service, Christian service is a priority. Along with that will come 
uh, the opportunity for those who are Christ followers to share with those kids, senior citizens, community folks, what, when we're there, why are we doing what we do? Dialogue takes place of, well, what's the name of your school? They haven't heard of some of these schools. So it's, it, it's really doing community with them. It will be more direct as all of our events have a chaplain attached to it. So we, we want them affixed to that, that event. They're there for the week. They're not forceful per se, but they're gonna, they, they, they will reach out to every coach before championship week to say, hey, I'm here. If I can help do a team devotional, we have a place at each host hotel where the chaplain will just kind of set up shop after hours and it's just there for dialogue. They'll talk about the day's events, the games. We'll talk about Christ, whatever. So it's putting building blocks in place that reminds them of what, to be honest, every kid was told in the preseason, that at a Christian college, Christ comes first. That can get lost as the season builds and can certainly get lost come championship week. Is, is there a code of conduct that you have for coaches or for student athletes? Both. We have a code of conduct, code of ethics for coaches uh, that rel- deals with that daily impact, also the recruiting relationship and also the kind of peer you know, relationship, such as I won't recruit your players out from under you, how we'll conduct ourselves if there's a, an issue, how we'll do life with each other. And we, we build that off a biblical model. There is a code of conduct for every student athlete. The, these are to be put in front of each team at a preseason meeting. The head coach and the AD sign off that this has been reviewed with every student athlete. We don't reside in Nirvana, so I'm not sure every kid gets it, but at least they're exposed to it and it's shared with them as to what that is, what that expectation is. Keeping in mind, out of our 100 schools, 65 to 70 of those are duly affiliated. So they are NCAA 2, NCAA 3, or there's another association called the NAI, a group of about 340 schools. From the NAI, they'll get a character code, for example. From the NCAA, they'll get a character code. Our differentiation is ours is very much a biblically-based code, pointing to the traits that Christ would have that student athlete, that coach, you know, present. What would be some of the more uh, prominent schools that our listeners might know that are a part of the NCCAA? As we go across the country, Mark, Dallas Baptist University uh, down in Dallas, they're an NCAA Division II institution. Their baseball is actually an exception sport. They're NCAA Division I. Indiana Wesleyan and Marion, Indiana on the smaller size but well-known institution, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, all the way to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, as soon as I leave someone out, I'm going to get a call. That Did I also see Biola and Bob Jones on there? Biola is a member in California, first-year member. Bob Jones, uh, when they instituted intercollegiate athletics, Morgan, four years ago now, I think it is, maybe five, they joined NCCAA. They're about 15 minutes from our office, in fact. And, and what you'll find, and, I, and I'm glad you asked who they are. Now, keep in mind the, the, high, the, the ones people are familiar with, a lot of them passed through NCCA. Liberty University was NCCA, Wheaton, Azusa Pacific, Seattle Pacific. So that headliner group of today's maybe leading, I guess is the semantics or better known Christian colleges and universities, most of them passed through NCCA when their athletics were at a smaller level. Uh, so to speak. We're, we're thankful for that. We hope that springboarded them well. In your years of working in Christian college athletics, how common have you seen incidents reminiscent of the Wheaton and Baylor stories? I think the degree of them, uh, certainly the Baylor, because I think what happens, Morgan and Mark, in this is, and I've got about, I played 
in at a Christian institution, was mentored by an incredible Christian coach, have 30 plus years experience as a coach, athletic director, and now in this administrative role. At the Christian institution, these things carry so much more passion because they are so much an antithesis to the school's mission. And I don't think we need to apologize for that. Sometimes the Christian school would say this wouldn't be that bad at fill in the blank institution. We don't get to pass that. We Christian institutions are expected to do better, including in intercollegiate athletics. So it, I, the, Baylor, the Baylor culture, and I want to get more specific to be very candid and say the Baylor football culture. My personal opinion on that, it, 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 everything rides on leadership. So I think, was it common? No. I think it was at an extreme because it was allowed to be in an extreme. Who, who bears that responsibility? In my opinion, as an athletic administrator, former AD, and as a former coach, that's a head coach's responsibility. Doesn't mean that the head coach uh, approved it, but it means that somewhere along the line, they didn't step in and stop it. They didn't change the culture that they control. They recruit. I think at Wheaton, and again, I've done some reading since you know Mark contacted me, um, familiar with their institution, with their AD. I will tell you they have incredible leadership there. They are a target as a leading Christian institution. So by that, sometimes it's the outside that comes running at them, different politically correct or cultural agendas. This is This is more... We can call this hazing. We can call it whatever. This is not Christ-like behavior to do this to another individual. Is there initiation and is there is there the freshman experience? Yes. And and I would offer Mark Morgan, your first year in whatever role you're in, you went through it too. You're the new kid on the block. And what that experience looks like is is you're new. So somebody, you know, they Mickey Mouse with your desk or they, you know, this or that. But when you start to intimidate. And I think I heard one of you earlier use the word assault. You know, that's that's not hazing. That's not secular or private school. That's not Christian. That's not the conduct we would expect to take place, even if we're trying to keep some type of pecking order or experience. You know, somewhere at this, this crossed the line. So it's not the norm, but it does happen. And I think that when we take it, we have to make sure that before we get into the legal sphere, biblically, this is not how we are to treat one another in Christ. And that, that, for me, drives this conversation more than what the legal outcome will be. That's really a good point, and that we should probably keep front and center. I mean, there are obvious legal uh, ramifications that need to be dealt with, uh, but for Christians, there's a higher ethical violation here that we should be much more sensitive to. I would illustrate it by this. You know, as I read it, Morgan, I think words that get us, that hurt us deep, when you hear the word potential, you know, again, accused, but sodomized, that raises this to a... Um, I mean, the, the, the radar goes crazy. The antenna goes crazy. When we hear that, you know, and again, as a former coach, a physical individual, a, a player, shoulder tears, that's some significant rough housing, I think was the word from my generation. So I hear those. I'm not now worried about some civil code that they're going to have to deal with. I'm worried, man, why would I do this to another individual that, let's keep in mind, is a teammate of mine? Now, I know I may, I understand that we may do the, again, I go back to the new kid on the block, psychology and paradigm, and, and I get that. But at the end of the day, when the duct tape comes off and this kid gets back to the dorm, I I probably need them to be part of a team. And let's say the shoulders are fine and sodomizing or anything like that did not happen. Is this kid still going to feel like they want to be part of that fraternal group called that team? 
And as a coach, as administrator, I would be concerned of that from athletics. But as a Christian, I'm concerned that do they even want to be a part of that community anymore? Because Wheaton is too good of a community to not want to have a person want to be a part of it. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. In your experience, do Christian schools often have a noticeably different student-athlete environment than their secular counterparts? Yeah, I'll go back to a little what I said just a few minutes ago. It, it has to do with leadership. I, I, it always does. For example, Christian schools, no. If I say as a whole, no, they don't. They don't have a different. Does a program at a select Christian school sometimes have a what appears to be the conduct, the behavior that doesn't look to be in sync with the institution or a different culture, as you asked? Yes. And it goes right to the coach. I'll give you an example. Our schools, Christian colleges in general, that coach leaves, again, for a lot of our coaches, their, their current position at a Christian college be it NCAA 2, 3, NAIA, NCCAA, is not maybe their end destination. Their end destination is what ESPN drives, which is we got to be Div 1. We've got to climb and make it to the big time, whatever that may be. That to me is where my calling gets interrupted by my pursuit. And so number one is, are they hiring coaches who are called? Well, if all of a sudden your soccer coach leaves the middle of July, which is not uncommon, and you've got players reporting the 5th of August, if a school makes an error and does not vet out and hire a mission fit coach, guess what? They're going to have bad leadership at the top of that group. And that bad leadership will be then portrayed by how the players respond to referees, peers, taunts, fans, how they behave at hotels, restaurants, how they treat each other, others. Um, and so when we see it not be a culture that is Christ-like, that fits with the school, uh, to be a, be very candid becomes a black eye to the to the institution. It rarely is is because the coach is awesome and the kids or a few kids go south. It's usually because the leadership is not you know paying attention daily. And I say that because uh, I'm going to assume college degrees for a lot of you know the folks listening and you too and, and my, myself. You spent at the most. Anytime in your college career, you spent six hours a week maybe with a professor, even your favorite professor. Let's say you had two classes with he, him or her. But think about the fact that the coach, student, athlete, they're spending 25 to 30 hours a week together. What's the potential good in that model? Because to me, it is exactly Christ and the disciples. It's a team of 12 following the coach on the road, very few home games because they didn't have a home <laughs> And they did life together. And Christ knew of Peter's strengths and weaknesses. And he knew the same of Matthew. He knew of Judas. He knew his team because he did life with them. What, man, what can come out of that? Well, we know a church was built out of that. But if the coach is not doing that or, or turning a blind eye, or they made, they took, they, they recruited a lot of projects, kids that they don't fit, but I'll, I'll watch them carefully. 
Well, no, you recruited them because they scored 27 a game and nine rebounds a game. And now you've got a kid in a culture who is told they're greater and better than everybody, but isn't really on target with the mission of the school. Yeah, that can get really flammable. That's when specific institution, and I say even programs, are affected. So that the AD, other coaches may be strong, but a program here or there can cause a significant negative or black eye to an institution. Is your impression, though, that the NCCAA colleges are able to to instill a more Christian culture in the, among their athletes? Yes, uh, they are able to, and our prayer is that they do. My eyes have been open to a larger degree in this role the last 18 years. It, it's got to be intentional. In other words, all because we recruited them to a Christian college doesn't mean they're going to get it. We can let chapel. We can let nine hours of required Bible help. We can have Christian RAs. We can tell them don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do, whatever your rules are. You can do all that and you can hope they absorb that, but it's got to be intentional. And that's what I like about our schools. Rank and file, they are very intentional in this communication of Christ first, everything else follows after. We are a diverse group. You know, when you're Christianity today, you go to a diverse population. Our schools represent conservative to liberal, the whole spectrum of Christianity. And yet you and I, we all know if we take all of our schools and throw them into culture, they're all conservative. <laughs> yet they, many are called liberal within our entity. Right. The key is it's got to be intentional, intentional from the beginning. And I think, yeah, I would say our schools are working hard at that. Understand, we spend plenty of time annually on sanctions and disciplines and hearing out cases of poor behavior, conduct, be it from a, a referee, be it from an institution who they feel someone recruited someone out from under them, or be it poor behavior at a hotel, at a championship, uh, where conduct that was not allowed by that institution or the NCCA was, con was done and conducted by a group. I, I have no qualms with dealing with that. I want to say that right up front. I don't have a problem with Christian college students or student athletes facing discipline. What I have a problem with is when the entrusted leaders aren't dealing out that discipline and what I would call discipling process. If they're doing that, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you are you are battling an up. It's it's, a, it's an uphill battle with even the, uh, the devout uh, Christian athlete because first of all, there's a simple matter of youth and immaturity. You know, 18, 20, 22 year old guys don't always show the best judgment. I certainly didn't when I was that age. And then you get them together in a macho setting. Yeah, so I, I'm I, I probably have little doubt that the head coach and the other leaders of the uh, of the organization have to have to be pretty diligent to keep that culture well, in check. Well, sports can really shine a light on behavior that the rest of the student body can also be participating in. But when you're an athlete, it just is more prominent. You literally took the words out of my mouth. Here's my illustration. If, if you've ever been to college camp, especially our private Christian colleges, they have things like corrals and dramas, forensics debate teams. I've never seen a technical foul at a choral presentation in my life. I've never seen somebody roughing the lead actor or actress in a play. I've never seen someone at a forensics debate get ejected. Athletics brings with it some inherent risk, to be very candid, male or female. Listen, some of the most passionate athletes I've ever witnessed are female. So in this crucible, it brings some risk. We get calls from parents because some a coach from another school they played from another Christian college got a red card at a soccer game. That school cannot be Christian, right? I'm like, come on, stop launching from there. But that's what we do because, again, 
They're held to a higher standard. The school is as a Christian college. And then you get into athletics and we have a culture and we're benefiting from it. Let's be very candid. ESPN has made sport somewhere in the top three with music and technology as the most interesting facets of everybody's life today. I don't agree with it, but it is what it is. And it's where we're at. And so that kid on a campus of a thousand students is going to be seen. They're going to be seen at games. They're going to be applauded. You have SID. I don't know if you know what an SID is. That's a sports information director. Most schools have someone promoting excellent accomplishments by student athletes. Guess what? Corral doesn't have that. Forensics debate can go. We've had schools of our ilk, our size, go beat Ohio State and Harvard and UC Berkeley and Oregon State and Alabama, whoever, in forensics debate. I mean, wax them. Nobody ever heard of that because forensics doesn't have a a forensics information director. (laughs) Sports is promoted at a different level. We know that. So with that comes greater risk. And James was very clear. It doesn't make all these kids teachers, but we are putting them on pedestals. And sometimes that's our fault. Sometimes that's their fault. But nonetheless, that's where we find them way too often on the Christian campus. So you were talking about the the uniqueness of athletics, but I want to talk about the uniqueness of football. Is there something about football culture in general that is a culture in and, you know, kind of unique in and of itself? Well, as I look at my clock about 30 minutes ago, we spent four minutes on Alabama, Clemson and football and Southern. So, yes, football leads. We know that football is if you if, if a Christian college has football, I will tell you it's the it's the primary sport. If they don't, it's typically maybe men's basketball. So just the way the way it currently is in our small college culture. So football, first of all, is the leading sport. You know, so keep in mind that, again, heightens it to whatever degree. Yeah. In its own nature, football is the most physical sport other than probably boxing, which schools don't have. So every play, every practice, every drill, part of that kid's responsibility And in this case, I'll say young man, because typically it's young men playing football. Rare cases, you'll have a young lady come out, so forth. So what's being taught here is I'm supposed to dominate my opponent. If I'm in the line, I dominate the guy across the line. If it's a a play and I'm a wide receiver, I dominate my, my opponent. I beat them on that play by either beating them on the route and catching the ball or blocking them so someone can run, everything. It's incredibly physical. And yes, to then diffuse that after two and a half hours of practice on a Tuesday and this young this group of young men now who just were going at it now head into the residence halls and the cafeteria or maybe to a after, you know, an after after hours class. They're jacked. Let's make no means about they're 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 big. The board macho machismo. All that's there. So, yeah. Football brings this different culture. I think some of the other things that happen is football is a fall sport. So you've got 100 football players, along with soccer, cross country, volleyball for women, other sports. But they arrive early. They come in sometimes two weeks early because they have to practice before the general population arrives. I think what happens in those two weeks at the beginning of every school year is critical because they're going to come to see themselves as elite and special. They're there earlier. They're typically eating better than they're going to eat when school starts. They're in bigger beds. They sometimes have their own residence hall because 
of the space and the and to be very candid the structural potential impact football players do on beds and furniture and walls <laughs> and doors that others don't so yeah is football different you better believe it from that pragmatic all the way to the the play so if if, if i was a christian college that did not have football my alma mater i went to messiah college is one of those if i was you know about to start a committee to consider establishing a football team at my school and you were going to offer some like words of advice or potentially concern, what would those be? I'll certainly get myself in, in on a hot seat with some of my best friends in the world in Christian athletic administration. You're not afraid of that. <laughs> no, I, I, and I'm not either. I would first caution them to whether they, whether they should do it. We have a school, Indiana Wesleyan just added and in a incredibly well studied process way, I think they'll be very successful with it, to be very candid. But it was not, most people say, well, of course they'd add it. They're this school of that's growing, whatever. The issue you have to look at is, can we do Christ well while doing football? It's not, can we be a Christian football team? Indiana Wesleyan is not a football school. Wheaton's not a football school. They are a Christian college that uses education and the integration of faith every day. That's what they do. They have, as part of their practices, a football team. And so can you do that well? And it is very difficult. And I think if we were to do an empirical study of Christian college football programs and who is being successful in the discipleship, mentoring, growing of young men in, in, in the play, because listen, everybody talks about it's great to have a place to rally five, six times every fall. Well, if you're 0-10, nobody's rallying around you. They're not coming. You You haven't added a campus community building entity. So you need to do it well on the field. It's difficult. Why Why would people look at it? A lot of times it's financial. It, it's in this day and age where we're trying to find more traditional students for our campuses, and there are fewer traditional students for our campuses. You have to attract them. Well, 100 football players typically show up when you add football, plus a few girlfriends, friends, whatever. You had a marching band, you pick up 40 more. That's a pretty, that's an impressive model to the CFOs of campuses. So I would caution them. I, I, I just have to be very honest. I, I would, I would not tell them no, because he, God's bigger. God's bigger than what some schools don't do well. So other schools can do very well, but it's going to take an incredible leader. And, and, and in football, as you guys know, it more than, more than a leader, it's going to take about eight or nine of them because their staffs are bigger. And Finding mission fit coaches and staff to come work for the salaries that Christian colleges pay, it's tough. So knowing Messiah, being very familiar with Grantham, Pennsylvania, or in, I would I would caution them in this day and age because we've made football into just a it's just a different beast. So on the positive side, especially with the um, crucial role that a head coach plays, I mean, do you get do you have training programs for the coaches on how to mentor young men and women in, in the faith? Or other than the service projects and the signing of a code of ethics, are there specific things that NCCAA schools do to help disciple athletes? From the 30,000 foot view, Mark, from our office, we do some, we provide some collaterals, we point, we share efforts with Athletes in Action and others on good collaterals for coaches to deliverables in this social media day, literally things that can be sent to a handheld device uh, every day. So kids can be at least be given access to devotionals and growing a godly man type of stuff and team dynamics from a biblical you know, purview but all of our schools do these team building things before every season. 
be it fall, winter, spring. It's it's rather it's probably diverse in what they do. I still think. I mean, I, I've, I'm looking sitting in my. I've got a, a credenza full of books over here. Um, many of them have to do with John Wooden, for example. And John Wooden, better than anybody, yes, he created a pyramid of success, all biblically based, whatever. But John Wooden said early on, and he said near his deathbed, the greatest coaching manual is the Bible. And I know that seems like the bailout for Christianity today and a Christian organization like NCCA, but it's not a bailout. It's just what we've forgotten. So yes, that that coach, that leader, and I want to make sure we're clear, and the leaders in the student-athlete population. So on that football team, on that soccer team, on that tennis team, on that cross-country team, it can't just be the coach. It's got to be peers. What we try to target is making sure they have that pecky, that coaches have people they can count on. Then we will distribute some collaterals to them. We'll we have a monthly devotional. We we have a complete association wide prayer network. Things that kind of continue to put the Christian activities in front of them. But nothing's going to replace that coach. Um, again, that head coach taking a daily active walk. And again, if you get a part-timer, so a lot of our coaches, they aren't full-time coaches. So you get the real estate agent who's putting 50, 60 hours a week into making a living, who gets a $3,000 stipend to coach you know, soccer for 10 weeks in the fall. I'm not sure your kids are getting poured into. And so the, again, part of that specific what's in place, once we get out of all the, the collaterals and the dissemination of information, NAI, I'll give you a, a shout out to them. They have a program called Champions of Character. We have the Game Plan for Life character model, which points out four traits that we think are of Christ. There are things out there to help, but there's nothing we've created in Game Plan for Life. We got a lot of good pieces, but there's nothing there that's better than than, than Scripture. And I again point to the Christ model. I think, um, not to make everything sport, but I think you have the perfect team concept in Christ and the disciples in those three years together. So my one of my favorite sports talk show hosts used to end his show saying that sports don't build character, they reveal it. Agree. That's where you that's where you would stand on that? I agree. I think that now, can it be built? Sure, because I think character's built every day we live. I I, I need to be at fifty seven, I better be good at Christian Christ like love than I was at twenty seven or thirty seven or forty seven. I hope I'm better at living out my faith. Today, I hope my behavior, you know, those things where we see character manifested, <laughs> it needs to be better. So I, I get all that. But, John, you know, the very first person I ever heard say that was, again, John Wooden. And it said that that sport is not best known for building, it's for revealing. So character flaws come out in sport, tempers, bad behavior, pouting, uh, overcoming, overachievers, all those success stories, too, that come out through sport. Probably, as John Wooden said, he didn't instill that in a kid. He just helped expose it and bring it out. Now, the key is that when we end that phrase, Morgan, we have to understand the Christian coach's responsibility. And I think even the Christian person's responsibility who is having their character revealed is once I reveal that flaw, if I'm that 18, 19, 20 year old young man, young woman under your leadership, you have a responsibility, I think, to help them. OK, here's the flaw. Here's the here's the gap. And my illustration for that is Christ and Peter. Whatever that look was through that window, the night the rooster crowed three times, I don't know what that look was that Christ gave Peter, but I think it's probably the most transformational eye contact in the history of mankind because it kept Peter from doing exactly what Judas did, which was just going out and ending it all. And I firmly believe that. What made Peter still be around even after the resurrection to be reinstated? 
Christ saw the flaws. They were completely revealed, and Christ went to fix them. And that glance, I think, played a pivotal role in it. I often said, if I could ever meet Thomas Kincaid, who's now passed, and he said, I'll paint one scene from you, what would it like? I want to know what that look looked like out into that courtyard. And to me, that's the coach looking on the failed player saying, I'm not giving up on you yet. I'm not done with you yet. That was bad. You failed. Now we move on. We're going to build you back up. If that doesn't happen, shame on the coach. I can't tell you the player will react like Peter did, <laughs> but that has to be happening. And if it's not, then that needs to start it, whether it's the AD, vice president for student life, whoever's overseeing athletics. What are you using your athletics department to do? And if it's to use sport to serve the Great Commission, these things must be in place. And they may be in place at some of these schools where we're seeing some really bad conduct. Because again, 18 to 22 year olds do stupid stuff, especially in today's ego driven sport culture. Well, thank you so much. I think you could be a headline writer for Christianity Today. I would read an article that was the most meaningful <laughs> eye contact ever, or however you said that. <laughs> yeah, that'll preach, baby. I'm going to steal that for some sermon I preach sometime. That is great. I, had, I just hadn't thought about that. That is wonderful insight. I'll take the compliment, but I would point back to what I said earlier. That's been in Scripture since day one. <laughs> exactly. And, I think, and, and my point is, sometimes we miss some of the most unbelievable things. I, I, I just think how we read Scripture, and I think how we use it, just it needs to be increased. I got a lot of great authors up here on the shelf. I'm sure you guys know many. None of them. None of them compared to my sovereign Lord's Word. None of them. Well, thanks for the great reminder. For everyone who has reactions, strong opinions, what have you, please share them with us on our social media. We're on Twitter at CT Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, where we ask everyone to share something personal about them that is bringing them joy right now. Mark, do you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, on this same trip that I took a couple days to fish, to have the fish frustrate me, was also a weekend in which we had a fundraising event where we introduced Christianity Today and the uh, cause of beautiful orthodoxy to a group of people in, uh, actually it was in Denver, Pennsylvania, right near Lancaster. Uh, and it was just such a delightful morning to meet so many people who, first of all, are already interested in the ministry of Christianity Today, but so many who said so many positive things about so many of the things we're doing online and print, the podcasts, my galley report. So it was very encouraging to to be with people who get what we're about, beautiful orthodoxy, sticking to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the world that we live in while bringing love and redemption to it, and not just criticism. So that was that was just very encouraging. Is there a place that people can find you outside of here? Well, uh, as you know, I'm making halting steps to get back on Twitter and Facebook, and I think Mark Galley is the key phrase there. But I also published something called The Galley Report, G-A-L-L-I Report, and that can be found at christianitytoday.com slash Report, in which I create a link to various articles and some commentary. Awesome. Dan? Mark and I ran into each other a week ago Monday right. uh, uh -huh. at uh, an event. We did a series of them. We started in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to Chicago, then Indian, Ohio, fundraisers for NCCAA, so forth. They're always great to be with our donors and so forth. But maybe part of this even conversation, there was a young man named Tom at our Ohio event who was coming to play. He's a former NCAA Division I wrestler, All-American, hurt his back, couldn't play that day. It was a little cold, wet in Ohio. So he said, I, I just want to volunteer and hang out. And I'll fast forward. We spent four and a half hours together on a golf hole where I hit a shot with each group to meet donors, et cetera. 
and had no idea, although I talked about it, which is just pouring into, we get back from that event and one of our staff members sent out an email to all volunteers thanking them. We get back this novel from Tom and basically synthesized down to this. I never knew intercollegiate athletics and the gospel could go hand in hand. And it reminded me that day there was no coaching going on. It was a fundraiser, remind you. We're trying to raise money for the NCCA. And yet we did four and a half hours of life together with this kid. And he never got any of that from his four years of wrestling, which kind of breaks my heart to some degree. And yet to hear him talk about two of his great things, he's a new Christian and he loves sports. And yet he saw them as two separate compartments. The fact that this young man sees it now as one life, that, that'll that let me keep coming to work for a long time. That's great. Actually, I remembered another precious moment from a week or so ago. Uh, actually, Dan was, uh, you were hitting the, you, you were hitting balls on the 16th or 17th hole, right there? Yeah, uh, Crestwood, yeah. yes. Sir. Yeah. yeah, so I want Dan to play in my next year's foursome because I hit my best three iron, all, I mean, uh, iron shot to a par three all day within seven feet of the cup. Of course, I missed the putt, but Dan was looking <laughs> on, so he, I, I need that pressure. <laughs> we'll, we'll join you anytime. Got to work on your putting skills, Mark. <laughs> Dan, are you on social media at all? I'm on Facebook. Everyone who knows me says I'll stay off Twitter because I'm too sarcastic and it's not healthy. So if, as far as NCCAA, if folks would want more, it's the, as in T-H-E, org. Stuff there for non-fans as well as fans, uh, parents, whatever. But that would be the two best contacts. I will share a sports-related precious moments. I went to the Indians game two weeks ago, I think, when they were here playing the White Sox. And as some people know, the Indians were on this massive winning streak that ended last week. But I felt very happy that I had gone to an Indians game while they were in the middle of the streak. It was really fun. I love baseball. I hate football a lot because football always happens in the middle of September, which is one of my favorite months of the baseball season. And I'm really looking forward to the playoffs. Yeah. I just like listen to baseball all day when that happens because there are so many games going on, at least for the first week. And the other cool thing that right now is that there's still a lot of playoff spots that are open. And so it's not, not there are some teams that have locked it down, but I really always cheer for chaos in September. Um, they, there's actually a formal name called Team Entropy that people that like these situations cheer for. And I am always team entropy in this situation. You can find me talking about baseball and other things on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. The podcast is a production of Christianity Today. And you can find our other podcasts by searching Apple Podcasts for Christianity Today. Uh, remember to head to orderct.com slash quicktolisten to subscribe to our magazine. Uh, this show is produced by my co-hosts Morgan Lee, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And if you like the show, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a lot. See you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.